Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show presented by the Big Lead. Coming to you after five NFL football games this weekend. We have one tonight. Just an overflowing cornucopia. Some of it good, most of it bad. One game in particular really intriguing, and it's going to be what's leading all the shows today because it involves the Dallas Cowboys. We are in the Dallas Cowboys business, whether we want to be or not. I think we have, I'm just seeing on my TV right now, we have Stephen A. Smith is laughing maniacally. Uh, Skip Bayless was moved to tears last night. Uh, Just a tough, bad scene as maybe the biggest fan base is served a steaming pile of defeat based on a bad decision and more importantly, 15 penalties Here to discuss that and much more is Matt Lombardo. He's host of the Matt Lombardo Show podcast on the Stacking the Box Network over at Fansided. He is the lead NFL writer. Matt, welcome. And your initial reactions, I think, let's just start with what's the takeaway of the weekend to you? Yeah, Kyle, I think there's a couple takeaways here. Number one, I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals are absolutely for real. And I think that they could potentially go on a run here. The game that I'm most looking forward to this weekend, though, it's Bills and Chiefs. This is a rematch of week five, a game where the Bills went into Arrowhead and just punched Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the mouth. They now have to go in there against a Chiefs team that's firing on all cylinders, a defense that has played markedly better down the stretch. And of course, you have to look at the debacle in Dallas yesterday afternoon, because to me, 
that loss raises fundamental questions about the future of the Dallas Cowboys. And it's a future that I think needs to be discussed right here, right now, because there's a lot of talent there, a lot of young talent. You can't make that play call with the game on the line that Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore made and believe you can win Super Bowls going forward. So I think that there's a lot of soul searching that needs to be done in Dallas. There's great games ahead of us in the coming weekends. Yeah, let's stick in Dallas because I had the thought process that the Cowboys really are the ultimate avatar for everything you want when you're in content. And there's a reason why the shows hit them so often all year round, whether they deserve to be discussed or not. I think we are in the spot where finally, where they shouldn't have been at the center of conversation. Now they rightly should, because you look what's going on with the coaching staff. And obviously they moved on from Jason Garrett. He was not the answer. Mike McCarthy had the pedigree, but the decision-making undisciplined play yesterday that particular fan base, it's kind of fun to watch them lose. Like if you're not a Cowboys fan, you have everybody ganging up and hating on them. And then you have the combustible owner. So I really don't know where this goes. And really, it is a mess. If you look at the track record of what teams have done this century in the playoffs, I think after being gifted, and it's painful for me to say that playoff win over the Lions way back when on that phantom pass interference call, it's been Des Bryant caught it and then just a whole steaming mess. So in the light of day, where do you think they go next? What are the next steps that they have to most address? Yeah, Kyle, it's unbelievable to think about it. I'm 35 and I grew up in an era where you think about the 1990s and the Cowboys were the team to beat every single year. They were in the Super Bowl every single year. And one of the more dominant playoff teams of that era, them and the San Francisco 49ers. It's been a long drought, and it's been a long time since the Cowboys have been able to take care of business in the postseason. And I think that yesterday was really the culmination of a lot of the fatal flaws in how the Cowboys are constructed. Number one, before they hired Mike McCarthy, I remember this huge PR blitz on NFL Network and other places about Mike McCarthy building out this football analytics lab in his basement. And him and a handful of former coaches were crunching the numbers and analyzing how to you know, change the future of the game and how it's coached. Well, yesterday he kicks a field goal down 16 in the second half where it didn't really make a difference whether you kick the field goal or not. And then you think about the play call at the very end of the game, the quarterback draw from the 40-yard line with 16 seconds to go. And you talk about what the big picture changes need to be. I think there needs to be a long and hard conversation about Mike McCarthy's future in Dallas, because you think about all the talent. Dak Prescott is probably at his worst, a top 10 quarterback in this league. CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper are probably the number two or number three wide receiving duo in this league. And with the game on the line, the biggest game of your season, you took the ball out of those guys' hands and you were too afraid to call a Hail Mary from the 40-yard line. You risked a quarterback draw that took up all the time that was left on the clock. And to me, if you're going to be a head coach in the NFL, that's a decision that you cannot make. Take the two shots at the end zone from the 40. Let Dak Prescott air it out. I just look at the way that game ended, the undisciplined nature. They had 12 calls that were pre-snap penalties of those 14 flags yesterday afternoon. And they're the most penalized team in the league going into yesterday. To me, that's a direct reflection on the head coach and the coaching staff. So Jerry Jones, not exactly the most patient of NFL owners, but I would love to be a fly on the wall in the star today to figure out what he's saying to Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore, and the power brokers and decision makers that handled the end of that game yesterday. Because to me, that's where the conversation starts and finishes. They have the talent 
But to me, they were just outcoached with Kyle Shanahan doing everything he could to lose the game late. So I think that the biggest change needs to be perhaps a change in head coach. Yeah, I, I don't I was thinking about this. I mean, I would be surprised if that happened. But at the uh, at the same time, like, what is the role of the coach if not to get the team ready to play in the biggest moments? And by any metric, that's an abject failure. And really kind of the, you know, the, the shots of the coach on the side are never going to present them in a good light. But there was still kind of that deer in the headlights look that was almost like Jason Garrett's fatal flaw. So it's weird to see history repeating itself. I'm so glad you brought up Kyle Shanahan. I was ready to go with just a blistering takedown of some of the decision-making that he employed yesterday. He kind of got bailed out. Let's talk about it. Choosing to kick the field goal when he was up 10 to nothing, when he kind of got the kill shot to make it 17-0, another punt, and just kind of like, reverting back into a shell there was a chance that he was going to suffer the same fate he did in the 28 to 3 Super Bowl the Super Bowl against the Chiefs and then yesterday would have been like the coup de gras of the whole thing and he is very lucky that we're not sitting here this morning reflecting on does any coach have a resume of choking like this down the stretch because he came perilously close yeah it's like he was trying to do everything he could to lose that game and I don't really understand it when you have a guy with as much speed as Debo Samuel you can move around you have Elijah Mitchell in the backfield who's just a between the tackles bruiser hand the ball off to those guys and let them do their thing. Now, I know that they kind of got tripped up with the the call that Debo Samuel was like half an inch short of the marker. And if he gets that first down, they kneel down twice and they go home. But it just felt like similar to that game in the Super Bowl that you brought up, where it felt pretty evident throughout the first three quarters of that game, especially in the first half, that Kyle Shanahan didn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. I saw a little bit of that in the second half yesterday afternoon, and maybe for good reason with that terrible throw that was picked off. It shouldn't have been a throw in the first place. Just run the ball, grind it out, get on the plane to Lambeau and get out of there. But the play calling to me just seemed out of sync, out of whack, and especially for the personnel, kind of unnecessary. And I think that that interception that Jimmy Garoppolo threw in that spot, that's why they traded up to Trey Lance. And even though they won that game, it makes me think that Kyle Shanahan is kind of counting down the moments until he can turn the reins over to Trey Lance next season with a full offseason under his belt. Yeah, and maybe that should be something for Niners fans to celebrate because you look at them going into Green Bay this coming weekend. I'm giving them a chance to win because they play defense and sure. run the ball, and they're a very tough team, and help is on the way. Jimmy Garoppolo, if he is a short-term solution, is probably the best-case scenario for a short-term solution if you look at the levels that he's ascended to. The feeling I get with this Niners team is that they might be one of destiny, where they have some obvious flaws. They obviously aren't as talented at the quarterback position as Aaron Rodgers, but something about the way they've played the last two weeks, I know that it turned into a dumpster fire in the last 20 minutes down in Big D, shows to it reminds me of like one of those hot six seeds that win the Super Bowl after entering nine and seven or ten and six back in the day I feel a lot of that in their bones yeah I think so too and I think it comes down to their personnel and their mentality the way they play football travels this time of year if you can run the ball effectively you can shorten the game and you have the dominant defenders that they have 
like Nick Bosa and like Fred Warner. Now, both of them getting hurt on Sunday. If you're the 49ers, you need them back on Saturday night to have a puncher's chance against Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau Field. But I think that when you can run the ball as effective, effectively as San Francisco does, you play dominant defense. And especially if you start fast, because I think that was a big key yesterday, jumping out to that early lead putting the pressure on the Dallas Cowboys. If they can do that against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is certainly going to be the toughest quarterback they face the rest of the way, unless they, you know, have to go through Tom Brady in a championship game. But I think that if they can jump out to an early lead and kind of blitz the hell out of Aaron Rodgers on the road, force a couple turnovers, they might be well on their way to being that team of destiny that you suggested. Yeah. Crazier things have happened. I want to talk about the two seven matchups. And the two seven matchups were very sleepy. You had the Buccaneers jumping out to an enormous lead. Uh, the Eagles flirted with getting the all-time backdoor cover, were unable to do it. Uh, and then last night, the Steelers played Steelers football for like a quarter. And then it was just like, oh, we're the Steelers and we're playing Patrick Mahomes. And it became a bloodbath. Neither of those games were interesting. You look, since the field has expanded to seven playoff teams in each conference, those teams are 0-4. They've lost by a margin, I think, of like 15 or 16 points. And a lot of people this weekend kind of had the realization that maybe more playoff football is not a good thing. I saw a lot of complaints about the lackluster competitiveness in that matchup. Why don't we start here? What is your thought on that complaint? Yeah, I, I, I see both sides of the argument, right? Because both of those games were snooze fests. And I think that the Eagles were really overmatched and they were a fringe playoff team anyway, going into Tampa Bay. You know, if, if they don't fall behind early, if their defense gets a stop, maybe they stick with the running game. Maybe that game plays out a little bit differently. Pittsburgh did everything they could do in the first quarter. You know, they, they played Steeler football, as you alluded to. TJ Watt recovers the fumble, takes it in for a touchdown. And you're thinking, okay, maybe we have a game here. But I think the bigger picture is, I don't know that people are making that same mistake if the game last Sunday night between the Raiders and the Chargers plays out and you get the tie scenario and you get Justin Herbert and the Chargers making the postseason over the Steelers because Pittsburgh to me had no business being in the postseason. You talk about backdoor covers. That was the most impressive backdoor playoff berth I think that I've ever seen. If Justin Herbert is in the postseason, I think that that changes things because I think the Chargers were the most talented team in the NFL not to get in. But you know, we're all going to watch all of these games. We're all going to watch them from start to finish. So I, the people who are kind of, you know, taking the stance of maybe we shouldn't have a seven seed. Sure, you can say that about the competitive balance. You can say that about an extra game for some of these teams that they have to go through. But I do think it makes the road to the Super Bowl that much tougher and it becomes a bit of a war of attrition for some of these teams. Like Tampa Bay, you think about the Buccaneers a year ago. The reason they went to the Super Bowl was, yes, of course, they have Tom Brady, but they were fully healthy. They had Chris Godwin. They had Mike Evans. They had some late contributions from Antonio Brown. Their offensive line was playing some of the best football of their career. You look at yesterday, Tristan Wirfs goes down. They're already without Godwin. They're already without Antonio Brown, who decided to up and quit football in the middle of the game. My point is, when you're asking these teams to play an extra playoff game, the attrition factor, I think, comes into play and it kind of changes the tournament and makes it a little bit more like, say, the NHL playoffs, which everybody agrees is the best postseason tournament in sports. So while, yes, I agree the games were out of hand and not all that competitive, I think in the end it's going to change the way we view the NFL playoffs because now staying healthy for that extra week is really going to matter. And the number one seed 
matters even more because you don't have to deal with playing that first weekend. Yeah, that was kind of like my point. And just to go back, the six seeds have won seven of the last eight. I believe the Buffalo Bills were the only three seed, the first three seed to win since 2017 or something crazy where that's been a phenomenon. I don't think there's that much difference between three, six and two, seven, if you spread it over a bunch of years, but if it is a problem, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing for football in terms of competitive balance. We did away with the second buy. Okay. So that two seed gets to play, a team that's slightly worse than teams that have been playoff caliber of la- of previous years. Right. So like that's their reward in doing that, but like and maybe in a different year, you might have a better team that gets in as the number seven seed. You might have a, a team that's won 10 or 11 games, but just is stuck in the best division of football. I think this was just kind of an anomaly this year where you had teams like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia getting in that, Really, if you watch them for the totality of the whole season, didn't really have a strong argument to make the postseason. Right. So you put the onus on the number two seed to just take care of business and not screw it up, not shoot themselves in the foot. And like you said, it makes that one seed in the singular buy that much more important. So worst case scenario, these are non-competitive games and people just get their three hours extra of football or maybe six when you add it all up and uh, in two games. But then the competitive structure of the tournament remains good. And I know that's a very unsexy thing for people to talk about, like, oh, this is the fairest process in determining a champion. But I do think that, like, even the downside is a way that it's kind of working as intended. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that, again, it's going to come down to the variables of the kind of season that you have and the kind of teams that wind up making it in. We might look at next year, and if the NFC West stays true to form, Maybe a team gets in that has 10 wins that just got beaten up by its own division. Or, you know, maybe in the AFC East, maybe Tua Tagovailoa in his third season has a renaissance and they win 10 or 11 games and they get in as that seventh seed. And I guess the moral of the story is that if you don't want to deal with playing a team that, you know, maybe you feel like you're playing an extra playoff game, go get the number one seed and go get the bye. I think that what this system does is it creates such a more distinct advantage for the two number one seeds. And I think that when you look at the NFL season and how it's structured, I think the number one seed should be more valuable than the number two seed. Yeah. Especially in a day and age with so much parity. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes the back end of the season because it's not going to happen all the time where one team is clear and above better. It keeps them, um, you know, focused in competitive because they might be playing a team that's fighting for, a fringe playoff spot. And I think that it improves and, and moves everything. Absolutely. Out. Uh, yeah. So here we are praising the NFL. Stranger things have happened. You said you were really excited about the Bengals Titans game. What did you see from the Bengals old Macaulay Culkin, Joe Burrow going out there and performing pretty well? I mean, I think he was everything you would want a first time playoff starter to be at the quarterback position. Jamar Chase might've been the most impressive player in over the entire weekend. I thought, and I don't know what the solution is for him. I walked away from that game thinking like, well, they obviously circled them. They wanted to stop him and they couldn't stop them. So are we looking at a Bengals team that is closer to that five and two start, closer to that stretch where Burrow threw for eight touchdowns, zero interceptions in back-to-back games? Are we, do you think we're getting kind of like that third wave of really good Bengals right now? I think so. And I think I give them the best chance to pull off an upset this weekend because it feels like, 
the connection between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase is just getting stronger. And I love the idea of the Bengals' future when you look at you have T. Higgins, you have Tyler Boyd, but it all comes down to a guy who Victor Cruz told me on the Matt Lombardo show last week that Jamar Chase might be the number one receiver in the league already, and at least he was the number one receiver in the league this year. You have that kind of talent with a quarterback who's played with him dating back to their time together in LSU. They're only going to get stronger from here. They're only going to get better from here. They're only get, going to get tougher to beat. And I think that Zach Taylor is one of those more underrated offensive minds in the NFL. I, I love their system. I love that they just push the ball downfield. They are what they are, and they're daring secondaries you know, to stop them or try to compete with them. And, and I look at Tennessee, and I think they've been so inconsistent. And if Cincinnati goes in there, turns this into a track meet, I don't think they have the personnel on offense, even with Derrick Henry potentially being back. I don't think they have the personnel, and I don't think they have the quarterback to keep up with them. So I think the Bengals, you want to talk about a team of destiny being maybe the San Francisco 49ers. I think Cincinnati might have that label because it was, after all, 35 years since their last playoff win. They get that monkey off the back. They get a favorable matchup against a Tennessee Titans team, which to me might be the most overrated or underwhelming number one seed in the last 15 years of the NFL playoffs in a home field advantage situation that isn't that much of an advantage. I just look at Cincinnati. The defense is getting better. They have Burrow. They have Chase. They have Mixon. They have all this talent on offense. CJ Uzoma, you know, is, is a legitimate weapon for them at tight end. I just think they're tough to defend on offense. They can dictate. And I think the way they play football travels this time of year. Yeah, I walked away from that game thinking that they are definitely a contender, not a pretender. And I'm not as deep on the X and O's as a lot of people, but from what I see in a narrative and like from an athlete perspective is Burrow and Chase just won a national championship. And they're so young that they don't know that they're not supposed to do this. So I don't think that like the allure and the bright lights is going to throw them off. They just completed what was arguably the most impressive collegiate football season two years ago. So why wouldn't they be brimming with confidence? Why wouldn't they go in there saying, look, we have the ability to score more points than the Titans on most days. And if that defense, which came up big when it really needed to, is able to pull its weight. Yeah, I do think that the Bengals have a really good shot next weekend. And I do think it will be a, a spectacular game. Yeah, I do too. And I think the way that Tennessee wins is you're going to have to shade a safety over to Jamar Chase's side of the field, double him deep, and you're going to have to blitz the hell out of Joe Burrow. And I don't know that they have the personnel in the front seven to do that. And on offense, it's the same argument that you made for the Eagles going into Tampa Bay. You're going to have to rush for 160, 170 yards. You're going to have to win the time of possession battle. And you have to force Joe Burrow into mistakes. And, you know, just speaking to the relationship between Chase and, and Burrow, yeah, they won a national championship a couple of years ago. But to me, the longer they play together, the better they're going to be. And the more experience that Jamar Chase gets in this league, the more dominant he's going to be. He looks nothing like a rookie wide receiver. And you talk to people inside the league and the, the conventional wisdom is it takes three years for a wide receiver to hit their peak and hit their stride and really, you know, find their groove in the NFL. If this is Jamar Chase after year one, what is he going to be and what are they going to be two years down the line? We mentioned the Chiefs and their expected victory over the Steelers, which was slightly delayed, but then got where we thought it was going to go. The Buffalo Bills exercised some demons against the New England Patriots in just a bloodbath. It felt like they could have won by 55. The scene was incredible out there. Those fans went absolutely bananas. 
I think that Josh Allen, you could make the case is every bit as good as Mahomes on any given Sunday to have those two match up. If I were to rank the remaining teams in the playoffs, I have them at one, two. Uh, I know that a lot of people might like the Buccaneers and Packers, but I have those two AFC teams as my two scariest teams. And for them to be going at it this early in the playoffs is really going to be a Titanic matchup, a rematch of the AFC title game. First thoughts on that one from you. Yeah, I think that, Kyle, this really reminds me of the Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning rivalry that really carried us through the 2000s in a lot of ways because they aren't in the same division, but they played in the AFC championship game a year ago. They played, I believe, in a divisional round the year before, if I'm not mistaken. But, and, and Josh Allen goes into Kansas City this week, this year in week five and just boat races Patrick Mahomes out of his own building. And now you get this matchup in the divisional round, the two most complete teams, in my opinion. You have the greatest quarterback walking the planet right now in Patrick Mahomes, an upstart offense with Josh Allen and all of those weapons on the other side, a Kansas City defense that's playing its best football of the year against a Bills defense that's been top five all year long. I'm with you. I think these are the two most complete teams, the two most dominant teams. I think there's a chance that the winner of this game on Sunday goes on to win the Super Bowl in February. I think that, you know, the Packers are high flying and all that, but, you know, they could be right for an upset against a San Francisco 49ers offense. That's a really tough draw because of the way they play. I just don't know who beats the Bills and the Chiefs. And a really interesting wrinkle to this is it's a rematch from a game earlier in this season. What the Bills did worked to perfection. Now, if that was their best game plan against Kansas City, well, Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo kind of know what they did. How do you game plan that? What's the chess match there among the coaches to repeat that kind of success? That's an underrated element that's kind of flying under the radar that fascinates me going into this game, in addition to watching these two quarterbacks do their thing. Yeah, I would say that the key has to be Buffalo's defense uh, because I think Josh Allen's going to be what he was. And he wasn't terrible last year uh, when it mattered. It was just the defense could absolutely not get stops. I'm not 100% convinced that the Chiefs offensive attack is going to continue to look like the 40-point variety. I mean, maybe it will. I think it'll be tougher to, to get to that 30 mark. I think we're kind of looking at like a 31-28 to 28 game here I just kind of wanted to know, like with these two quarterbacks going at it one of the things that I kept talking about this season is it seems like we have a pretty clear one and two in terms of who's the best quarterback in the NFL but after that four through ten are like constantly shifting constantly jumbled Allen of course is in that conversation Burrow is in that conversation where do you think the state of that lays as we go into the divisional round like who do you kind of have like in those three through eight slots in any order yeah it's funny it's funny my wife and I were talking about this last night watching the Chiefs game she's like well who are the best four or five quarterbacks in the league right now and, and you know I think you have to put Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes up on a shelf up on a pedestal I think they're one and two and then there's a, a slight drop off from there and then you know I look at names like Tom Brady certainly has to be in the conversation because he's so clutch and you're looking what he's doing, even without Chris Godwin and now without Antonio Brown as well. Then it gets a little bit jumbled for me. And I think that it's Joe Burrow and it's Justin Herbert. 
And Herbert might be the best quarterback not to make the postseason this year. Joe Burrow seems to get better every single week in a quarterback-friendly offense with dynamic playmakers around him, which we touched on. But, you know, Josh Allen is in that conversation as well. I don't know whether you slot him at three, whether you slot him just on the outside looking in at number five. But either way, when these two quarterbacks meet, when it's Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, it just feels like magic happens. And it feels like you're going to get a, a classic duel between two of the best quarterbacks in the league. And it seems to live up to the hype and the expectations every time. Isn't it remarkable that a 44-year-old Tom Brady goes out there, looks like you said, like we he has to be in the conversation in the top three if you're going to value winning. And it's just kind of like story F. Uh, on this Monday, we've gotten so used to his success. Did you see anything that gives you more confidence for the Buccaneers? I'm kind of down on them. Uh, I have them losing this round. Uh, it was to the Cowboys, but nevertheless, I don't think it's going to be the year for the Buccaneers. I just don't think it, it's not like last year in terms of like offensive continuity and that defense is not as it doesn't have the big play potential. I mean, look what it did to Philadelphia. I'm not taking too much away from that. What are your thoughts on 44-year-old Tom Brady entering what's going to be a Titanic matchup? And are you brave enough to join me in kind of naysaying him and being wrong for the sixth or seventh time? Yeah, I'm, I'm not jumping on that boat quite yet. <laughs> I mean, I look at their defense and, and I see the point, but I still think you have guys like Antoine Winfield Jr. at safety. You still have, you know, guys like Levante David and Devin White in the front seven. And when you have that kind of speed flying around the football on defense, I think good things happen for you. And, and I just have a hard time betting against Tom Brady. I mean, look, that Eagles defense yesterday, when you look at Fletcher Cox and you look at Derek Barnett, you'll get some of the personnel they have up front. They're built to pressure Tom Brady, especially up the middle in ways that a lot of defenses have struggled with this year. And they were a non-factor. Now, listen, if Tristan Wirfs can't go, if they're banged up on the offensive line, then obviously I think this is going to be a really tough draw for them against the, the Rams or the Cardinals. But I just look at that postseason experience with Tom Brady, and I look at their defense just having enough speed and having enough playmakers at all three levels that they're going to be difficult to beat. And I think that that experience going and winning a year ago, I think that still matters. Now, do they, if they go to an NFC championship game and it's, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo and that Niners team, or if it's, you know, going back to Lambeau field, I think they'd rightfully be an underdog there, but if it's Packers Buccaneers, how much lingering doubt is in Aaron Rodgers' mind about how that game played out a year ago and how, much, how small he came up in some big spots down in the red zone and how much confidence does Tom Brady have going through that? So if they get through this weekend against whoever wins on Monday night, I still think they have a really good chance to go on a run here. Through your work covering the NFL, can be heard on the Stacking the Box podcast the Matt Lombardo show, just diving into this day after day and in the off season, I wanted to ask you, I feel like I'm enjoy, I am able to enjoy the fruits of NFL playoff football uh, as someone who is not as locked in every day. I'm more of a generalist this time of year comes and I'm just like, okay, I shift over from college to being like, all right, I'm all in on the NFL. What's it like to get to this point of the year just personally after doing kind of like some of the grunt work, hoping that it delivers? 
Well, I think what's really cool, it was kind of new for me since we moved into our new house. In my home office, I have a setup with the three TVs where I can have whatever main game I'm covering, Red Zone, and then a, you know the, the other game that's broadcast. And Sundays can be so hectic. And I feel like it's tough week in and week out Sunday, even if you're watching games the way I now get a chance to watch them. It's tough to really get a feel for the entire league and storylines that are developing. But come postseason, it's one game per time slot. You can kind of sink your teeth into each game and really form some strong opinions, strong narratives and observations after each game. And especially wildcard weekend, which I think is always a lot of fun because you're going to get that crazy upset. You're going to get that team that comes out of nowhere. You're going to get that team that plants their flag as the team to beat. But especially then divisional weekend where you have you know, eight of the best teams still standing in this league. It's the best football you're going to see. To me, it's much more enjoyable being able to dive into each game and digest it come postseason time than it is during the regular season, which I'll admit, Kyle, during the regular season, I think covering games are my least favorite part. I enjoy like what happens between Monday and Saturday, how teams are preparing, how they're going to make up for injured players, big marquee signings, trades, all of that. But man, covering postseason football games to me was with so much at stake and so much that you can laser in and focus on. I don't think there's anything better. No, that's exactly right because it, it refocuses you. Uh, it refocuses what I do, what we do at the big lead. It's kind of like, all right, well, what's the story here? Like, what's what's happening in the shadows? Who is fighting on on Twitter? You know, like who's a mess? the playoffs get here and there's the finality like, Oh, well, they're actually playing a game and both teams really, really want to win. And there's no tomorrow. And you're just like, okay, well, actually I find myself, I appreciate the sport and the actual game so much more come playoff time because it's exactly what you said on Sunday when there's 11 games going on, it's just madness. It's being like an air traffic control tower. But when you get one on TV, it's just like, Oh, okay, well, there's a nice player that I never noticed was, uh, was good at, at, at pulling on a sweep. Uh, and there's, there's, you know, there's a coach who's not afraid to uh, be aggressive on first down. It's like those little things where you're never able to lock into that, that zone and then you anticipate it and you just get so much more out of it. So it is really fun. Yeah, and, you know, we started this conversation talking about Mike McCarthy's decision late in the game for the Dallas Cowboys. The whole country saw that game, unless that was a Thursday night game. And even then, it's not the same audience as four o'clock on a Sunday during the, the wild card playoff round. The whole country saw it. We, we all witnessed what happened. We can all react to what happened. And to me, that's what makes the playoffs so special because the storylines are elevated. The stakes are certainly a lot higher and there's a lot more meat on the bone when you're looking ahead to the following week and you're one step closer to the Super Bowl. And to me, it's just the best time of the year. That's Matt Lombardo. Thank you so much for joining me. Kyle, happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.